Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Welcome to Money for the Rest of Us, a personal finance show on money, how it works, how to invest it, and how to live without worrying about it. I'm your host, David Stein, and today is episode 108. It's titled, Investing in Real Estate Through Crowdfunding Platforms. Today's topic was suggested by Billy, who is a longtime listener to the show and one of the founding or charter members to the Money for the Rest of Us hub. In the fall of 2005, one of my clients was a liberal arts college with about a 250 to $300 million endowment fund. And one of my recommendations to them was to diversify their real estate portfolio. And I brought to the table a recommendation from our research group, who I was one of our investment committee members on our research group. So essentially, I had approved this particular fund. This was a private real estate partnership. It had about a 10 to 12-year life. They were seeking to raise $1.8 billion to buy office properties in major cities, including Boston, Chicago, New York, London, and Paris. And this was their fourth fund, so they already managed over $2 billion. They had done numerous acquisitions. They had decades of experience, and they were using what is known as a value-added strategy. And I'll talk about different private real estate strategies in a bit. But this was a value-added strategy where they were seeking to buy these office properties, reposition them or redevelop them, sign new leases, and essentially hold them for 10 to 12 years, and then sell them. They focused primarily on premier urban centers because there there was a, a new supply constraint. There was greater institutional investment liquidity. So when they were ready to sell, there were ready buyers. These were primarily cities with a knowledge-based economy, and they had strong, long-term demand fundamentals. Now, the way that this, this manager worked, they had 40 employees, 26 investment professionals, and they had a huge network where they, of long-term relationships with lenders, bankers, brokers, real estate operators. And these, these, this network could often give this particular manager exclusive access to deals that were coming online, potential sellers that wanted to sell their building. This particular manager could step in, structure the deal. Typically, they, they could borrow 60 to 80% of the property value. And then these general partners, as well as their limited partners, which this particular university client was considering, do they want to be a limited partner in this fund to essentially co-invest with this general partner to buy these office buildings? So we're in the meeting. And I'm, I'm sitting there, and the way these meetings where you sit there, you have the investment committee and the university staff all there. These are members of the board. The, typically, an investment committee is a subset 
of a particular college's board of regents. And so the manager calls in on a conference call. They couldn't be there in person. And, and, and a couple of the founding partners of this firm were there. And they were explaining their strategy, talking about how well they had done in the past, talking about what I just said. They were sharing what, what they did. One of the investment committee members was a founding partner of a private equity firm. And this was a very, very successful private equity manager. They did leverage buyouts and they focused in the middle market. And this manager pointed out that the real estate manager, so the private equity manager points out to the real estate manager, yes, how come you cut the amount of money that you, the partners, are putting into the fund compared to your last fund? And this particular private equity manager their general partners typically put 5 to 10% of the money that they were raising for a given fund of their own. They, would put, they, they had skin in the game. They put their own money in. And this particular real estate manager was, was putting maybe 1.5% to 2%, but it was going to be a lower percent than the prior fund. And the private equity manager just, just wouldn't wouldn't let it go. The, the answer to the real estate manager was, was just a little weak. It wasn't, wasn't, wasn't a great answer. I started to squirm a little bit in my seat because it was, it was getting a little uncomfortable. But at the end of the day, they let it pass. The university committed to the fund. And even though the real estate managers were putting in less money than they had previously. Now, it's 2016. It's been... Oh, it's been 10 years, just over 10 years. The fund has, they, they bought properties, they invested in premier cities. We went through the Great Recession. And at the end of the day, the fund has fallen woefully short of their target. Their target internal rate of return, which is essentially their dollar weight of return, their gross internal rate of return target was 18 to 20%. Net to their investors after fees, they were shooting for the low teens. The fund is underwater. It's going to hopefully break even. Now, I'm no longer this particular <laughs> College's client. I don't think they're a client of my old firm anymore. Perhaps the, <laughs> the, the, the poor recommendation on my part in terms of this particular partnership which didn't work out. But the takeaway is, Real estate investing can be very, very difficult. This is a firm with 40 employees, 26 investment professionals, decades of experience, investing in a sector they knew well, an extensive network. They would spend weeks and months on due diligence. They would team up with local property managers to manage the properties. And at the end, given the dynamics of the market, they, they overpaid for some properties, and they didn't put as much money in. And maybe they psychologically they knew the dynamic was different this time, but the fund has struggled. Their, their previous funds were hugely successful. The, the manager continues to be in business. But I learned that it's very important. Is there an alignment of interest? Is, if you're going to invest with a manager, do, how are they co-investing with you? How much of their own capital is on the line? I bring this up because we're going to talk about crowdfunding platforms, which are essentially a way that you, as an individual, can invest in commercial real estate, be it office properties, apartment complexes, retail centers, industrial complexes, or even 
single family homes, all online through your pooling your money with other investors. This previously was only available to accredited investors, but now this month, May 2016, new U.S. security regulations will take effect that will allow many more individuals to invest in commercial and residential real estate deals, as well as other crowdfunded investment offerings via the internet. As I mentioned, prior to May 2016, only institutions and individuals who qualified as accredited investors were permitted to utilize online crowdfunding platforms to provide equity capital and debt financing. Now, the U.S. Security Exchange Commission defines an accredited investor as an individual who individually or jointly with one spouse has a net worth of at least $1 million, excluding the value of one's primary residence, or who individually earned at least $200,000 per year for the past two years, or jointly with her spouse, $300,000, and reasonably expect to do so in the future. How many accredited investors are there in the U.S.? Well, the SEC estimates 10% of U.S. households qualify as accredited investors. And there are over 100 crowdfunding platforms, and primarily they have targeted these accredited investors to raise capital to invest in real estate deals. They've also worked with institutions. Even today, the vast majority of crowdfunding for real estate transactions, the vast majority of investors are actually institutions, not individuals. Now, under these new rules, non-accredited investors can invest in crowdsourcing platforms. And what's interesting about it, now, none of the real estate platforms yet offer that because it essentially takes effect this week. So they're going to have to change the process. But here's the new rules. If if you have an annual income or net worth less than $100,000, you'll be able to invest a greater of $2,000 or 5% of the lesser of your annual income or net worth each year in crowdfunded investment offerings. Now, that, that's, that's a little confusing. Let me read it one more time. I'll read it slow. Annual income or net worth less than $100,000, you can invest the greater of either $2,000 or 5% of the lesser of your annual income or net worth. Now, if both of your annual income or net worth is greater than $100,000, then you, as a non-accredited investor, can invest 10% of the lesser of your annual income or your net worth up to a maximum of $100,000 per year. Now, that those are the new rules. And so we're going to look at today, well, what does it take to invest in real estate? I told you about sort of this particular college and how they went about it and, and partnering partnering with a particular real estate firm. I have made only one crowdfunding real estate investment. I did it a month or so ago. I invested in a hotel property. So I I signed up, and I won't give the name of the particular platform, mainly because of of non-disclosure agreements that I signed. But if you're a member of the Money for the Rest of Us Hub, There's a plus episode where I provided more detail on this platform and the entire process. 
in, in terms of the names and, and, and sort of where I invested. But I'm going to just kind of give you a general outline here in this show, but you'll, you'll get the sense uh, of what happened. So I, I invested in a particular hotel that is located in a major city, and it's in a particular section of the city that I've been in. This is a boutique hotel, only 12 rooms and a restaurant. And the, the way that I invested it is, and I'm going to talk about the different layers of the capital stack in terms of the different layers of, of funding for a real estate transaction. And, and one of those layers is, is preferred equity. So I put up, prefer, I'm getting a preferred equity. This is a three-year deal. The expected return is 9%. And then after three years, I'm out. It, I, it's very conservative in the sense that the, the hotel and restaurant, just the revenue can fall 40% and while we'll still get paid back. So I, I sort of tiptoed in this to, to this particular investment, and and I read all the financials, and I looked at well the, the the partner, the primary sponsor putting up the equity, has four decades of running hotels. They own major hotels in the city. This is sort of a premier jewel property boutique, but in a really historic area of the city, the only hotel in the area. And I thought. I'm going to do it. I'm going to try it out. I'm going to be a test dummy for crowdfunding real estate for the members of the Money for the Rest of Us Hub and to see if I see how it works. I just sort of to learn from the process. So about a month after I the, the deal was funded, I get an email from the platform with an update on their investment and it includes a letter from the hotel operator. Here's what it says. So this is this is essentially about Four months after the the platform invested and the hotel operator invested and bought this boutique hotel. They say, quote, while we did as much due diligence as one could, what we assumed was a much more – what we assumed, essentially bought, was a much more declining restaurant and neglected hotel than we had originally anticipated. We spent the first quarter stopping the bleeding of operations and erosion of the guest experience and worked to set ourselves on a solid proper path. That's not what you want to hear three months after you make an investment. So what are they doing about it? Here's a list of stuff they're working on. The team and the mentality. This is all detailed in the letter. Got rid of the no mentality. Focused and succeeded on changing employees' negative mentality. Turned over 99% of the front of the house staff, but didn't lose one person in terms of the back in the house staff. They engaged a local designer for new lamps for the front desk. They hired a local florist to supply flowers at the entrance and to replant the flower boxes. They consistently working with and buying from and befriending the folks at the local hardware store, the informal town center. They donated some items to the local school auction. They have solidified the relationship with a local neighborhood groups that eats at the restaurant once a week, 12 to 15 people. They sponsored a kitchen tour, and they're regularly walking the neighborhood to cementing relationships with the neighbors. That's real estate investing. That is local as it can be, hands-on. This is a hotel operator. That's the kind of partner that I want to invest in. I found the investment through a crowdfunding real estate site. This is an area that has grown substantially in the past few years. 
There was a recent study published by the Cambridge Judge Business School, and it's a fascinating study that it talked about. It it provided an extensive overview of both crowdfunding real estate as well as peer-to-peer lending, how that's developing, not just in the U.S., but around the world. You can get a copy of this by going to moneyfortherestofus.net. It'll be in the show notes for episode 108. If you're a member of my Insider's Guide, you've already gotten a link to this particular study in your weekly free email, including a summary article. You can sign up for the Insider's Guide, and then you never have to go to my website again. You'll get everything you need. Each week, you'll get an email with the show notes and the links, and you can sign up for that at moneyfortherestofus.net on the homepage. Or if you are a US, U.S.-based listener, you can text the word INSIDER to the number four four. Two 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 and get set up that way. So this study showed that crowdfunded real estate transactions, including both debt and equity, was $1.3 billion in 2015. That's a 360% increase over 2014. The number of deals and the number of platforms is proliferating. Examples of crowdfunding real estate sites include Realty Mogul, Fundrise, Patch of Land, and Acquire Real Estate. Despite its growth, though, crowdfunding real estate transactions comprise only 0.2% of commercial real estate transaction volume, which was approximately $500 billion in 2015, according to JLL Research and Real Capital Analytics. Now, while new SEC regulations and The expansion of crowdfunding real estate platforms makes it easier than ever for individuals to invest in commercial real estate. Deciding where to invest is not an easy task and involves a great deal of risk. Not only do you need to choose from over 125 different real estate crowdfunding platforms, which vary by fees, size, and experience, but then you need to choose the specific real estate deals, which can vary dramatically in terms of risk. Let me pause here to share some words from this week's sponsors. We have a brand new sponsor to our show. It's Yahoo Finance. Yahoo's been around for decades. My first email outside of work was a Yahoo email address. But the financial side, I've used on occasion primarily to get data for dividend histories for particular funds or ETFs. But I was pleasantly surprised to get back on Yahoo Finance to see how it's evolved over the years. Now it's really a financial dashboard where you can get an understanding of what's going on with the markets. There are relevant articles from Bloomberg, Reuters, the Associated Press, and the Yahoo Finance team. You can look at the economic events calendar and see which data series are being released that day and what the consensus is. You can see the pulse of the markets at any time by going to Yahoo Finance. In addition, you could see all of your investments in retirement accounts in one place. With Yahoo Finance, you get a consolidated view of multiple accounts. Yahoo Finance serves as a financial hub for your retirement accounts, but also comprehensive financial news and analysis. You need to check out Yahoo Finance, particularly if you haven't been there in a while. Check it out at yahoofinance.com. That's yahoofinance.com. If you've been using Mint to manage your finances, you know they shut down several months ago. Well, let me tell you about the budgeting solution, the financial tracking solution I've been using for the past number of months. It's Monarch Money. 
Monarch Money is the top-rated all-in-one personal finance app. It gives you a comprehensive view of all your accounts, investments, transactions, and more. You can create custom budgets like I've done. You can set goals, collaborate with your partner. And now you can get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com David. What I like about Monarch is the ability to customize what I want to see. I have custom budget categories, and then I can go on to the dashboard and see where I'm above trend on some of my spending. I especially like that Monarch will never sell your data to third parties or show you ads. After trying Monarch myself, I understand why it's the top-rated personal finance app. And right now, get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com David. That's M-O-N-A-R-C-H-M-O-N-E-Y dot com slash David for your extended 30-day free trial. Before we focus on the platforms, let's talk about the deals. Real estate risk is a function of the security type, the property sector, and the level of redevelopment for the specific property. Real estate security types include debt, mezzanine debt, preferred equity, and common equity. Debt typically comprises 50 to 80% of most commercial real estate transactions. Loans are the least risky way to invest in private real estate because a loan is secured by the property. The senior debt holder has first claim on the property in case the developer or borrower defaults. Of course, the degree of riskiness for a mortgage loan depends on how much leverage is involved. So the next layer, uh, sort of the middle layer of the capital stack used to funding real estate transactions are preferred equity and mezzanine debt. Preferred equity and mezzanine debt holders receive a healthy yield in terms of an interest or dividend And in the case of default, they have first access to any proceeds after the obligation to the senior debt holder has been have been satisfied. So that's what I did for this hotel property that I bought. I was the preferred equity layer. The dividend yields about eight to nine, nine percent, I believe. Actually, I think it was 10 percent. And after expenses, the expected return over the three years is about nine percent cash on cash. So that's what I did there. So sort of the middle layer. Preferred equity, you get a dividend, mezzanine debt, you, it's, it's an interest-type payment. And then the bottom layer, the most risky layer, is the common equity holders. Now, they hopefully also get the highest return because their returns can be magnified based on the amount of leverage used in the transaction. And usually the real estate developer, deal sponsor, owns a meaningful share of the common equity along with outside shareholders. And this was where this private equity manager on the investment committee of this college client of mine, that was his sticking point with this real estate manager, the general partner. How big was your meaningful share in the common equity of, of the partnership? Real estate risk can also vary by property type and the level of development anticipated. The the least risky is what is known as core real estate, and it consists of investing in quality properties with existing long-term leases and no need for substantial redevelopment of the property. And therefore, the main source of return is just a stable stream of income. Then you have what is known as value-added and opportunistic real estate investments. And these require varying degrees of redevelopment, 
So maybe remodel the property, upgrade it, reposition it for the market, and what's known as lease-up, which is is the process of rewriting leases and attracting new clients following the development or redevelopment of the property. Now, that's a lot more worse and a lot more risky because you don't know how it's going to turn out. This particular real estate manager that the college invested in, this was a value-added opportunity. They were redeveloping existing corporate office parks, office buildings, and and finding new tenant, hopefully raising prices. And if you raise the prices of the lease, then the value of the property can goes up. Now, while core value-added and opportunistic real estate represent the different degrees of redevelopment and lease-up risk, real estate investing risk can also vary by property sectors. Investors demand a higher return for the riskiest property sectors. What is the most risky sector of property? Hotels, if you couldn't tell. I invested. Now, so I'm, I'm at the, the middle tier of securities in terms of risk, but investing in the riskiest sector. And just quoting from that letter, you can see there, there's a lot that goes into running a hotel, from replanting the flower boxes to going out and visiting the hardware store just to get people in. Now, obviously, this is a 12-room boutique hotel, so even a little more hand-holding, but that's the most risky. The least risky is what the, the other real estate manager was doing that my client invested in, investing in office building in Central Business District. That's the least risky, at least based on the expected return from investors. Apartment complexes are also in the low-risk bucket. And then in between would include retail centers, industrial complexes, and suburban office buildings. They fall in between. Now, what, what are the returns? How can you compare them? Well, the most common way is by looking at what is known as capital, capitalization rates or cap rates. And that represents a, a property a specific property, or a a sector's net operating income, so income after expenses, divided by the property's asset value. So it's a yield. And according to Real Capital Analytics, the cap rate or the capitalization rate for the hotel sector was has fallen to about 8.5% at the end of 2015 compared to ten over 10% or close to 10% in 2009. And all of these cap rates are, have, have fallen since the start of the economic recovery in 2009. So the highest yielding sector, hence the most risky, are hotels with an 8.5% yield according to the cap rate. The cap rate for central business district office buildings is below 6%. It was close to 8.5% in 2009. The apartment sector cap rate is also below 6%. And then retail, industrial, and suburban office building sectors are between 65 and 7.5%. In today's low interest rate environment, investors have been willing to accept a lower and lower expected return for individual deals as more and more capital has flowed into the real estate sector. And that amount of capital is going to increase because now these platforms, which continue to grow, are are able to find even more investors. Now, 
it's probably going to it's going to start as a trickle but can expand over time. Now, how do you decide what real estate crowdfunding platform to invest in? That's a tough question. Billy had named off five or six that he wanted me to look at in terms of plat- platforms and I thought well, I'll just I'll, I'll do the research. There've got to be leading platforms. I'll be able to figure out which is best. No, there's 125 different ones. Different degrees in terms of of their focus as well as how long they've been around, although none of them have been around very, very long. I did find one website, realestatecrowdfundingreview.com. They looked at over 100 different crowdfunding platforms. You can sign up for free and download the spreadsheet. But even their, their criteria for the best were those that had the most venture capital funding. And, and that, to me, is a red flag. I don't want a well-funded platform because it goes back to what I talked about in episode 98 of the, of the show, Why We Need a Lifestyle Business. I quoted from Douglas Rushkoff's book, Throwing Rocks at the Google Bus, How Growth Becomes an Enemy of Prosperity. You take venture capital, your primary mission is to grow, not necessarily to source the best investments. Now, they sort of work hand in hand. But you look at what's going on with Lending Club right now, a peer-to-peer lending site that I discussed in episode, I believe it was 70, 76 of, of the show, where I talked about should you lend to your peers. There you have a situation, it was episode 76, the Department of Justice is looking into possible criminal activity at the Lending Club because of some decisions made by their management. The chief, your chief executive has, has resigned. The stock has fallen 45% in a week. And, and the potential improprieties all were in the name of growth. They were trying, they backdated some of the loans in order to get an institutional investor to invest. And, and there were some other things that, I, that I, you can read about it in the news. But the core of the problem is they needed to grow to support their stock price. And quoting from Mr. Rushkoff's book, he said, "Have in his in this case he's talking about Twitter, but you could use you could use Lending Club in the same same sentences. Having taken this much new capital, Twitter now needs or Lending Club needs to produce. It must grow. In 2015, Twitter investors have complained that the company was too far from reaching its 100x growth potential and forced out the CEO. Lending Club just lost the CEO. It's not that Twitter isn't successful. It's just not successful enough to justify all the money investors have pumped into it. That's the same situation Lending Club is going through. Now, I continue to I, – I spent about three months – Investing in lending club loans, I still believe that the ultimate return across the board for all the different loan types will be six and a half percent. They they're having to raise rates in order to attract investors, but the platform's fine. The challenge is their their intensive need to grow to satisfy the venture capitalists, or if it's the newly issued shares, the new shareholders. So when I'm looking at peer to peer lending platform or crowdfunding real estate, I don't care about venture capital. I care about the partners, and I care about one the fees. So if I'm gonna, as I they go through my analysis, I want to see who has the most reasonable fees. The hotel management or the hotel property that I did, the management fee for that is zero point six five percent, which in my 
is reasonable. Second thing I want to care, do they have skin in the game? Are they co-investing? Are they pre-funding the, the investment? So just like the real estate partnership that I talked about earlier with that, that was doing the office buildings in the central cities, how much money were they going to put invest with you? That is key. If all they're doing is middleman, bringing in deals, spending a week doing due diligence, trying to get that flow through so they can collect fee income, I don't want a platform like that. The experience of operators is key. And what is the level of due diligence? I prefer a platform with fewer deals. The one that I invested in, the, the hotel property, they only have three open investments right now. And they're, and they're not, probably not going to gain more until they sell out all the shares because they, they invested, they bought the property along with their sponsoring partner. They'll keep some of it and then they sell out some of the other equity or preferred equity. And I also care about the backup plans. If something happens to the platform, how does it continue in terms of servicing the loans in the property? If you decide you want to do crowdfunded real estate, which platform should you use? I don't know yet. I'm still figuring it out. I'm still doing the due diligence. One of the things I do on the Money for the Rest of Us Hub is I test drive these new investment options. And I've tried one platform. I've shared the experience on the Hub. I'm going to try other platforms. I can tell you I'm going to be much more conservative. I'm not going to do common equity deals unless it's an extremely attractive opportunity. More than likely do preferred debt, mezzanine debt, even potentially direct lending, but I'm still sort of working through. It's such a big list. That's what I'm doing. You can see what I'm doing and get sort of see what I'm doing with my portfolio on the Money for the Rest of Us Hub by becoming a member. You can get more information for that at moneyfortherestofushub.com. And who knows, perhaps in a future episode on the podcast, I'll share more as these platforms develop. You can get show notes for this episode at moneyfortherestofus.net. I've already mentioned the Insider's Guide. One thing I didn't mention that Insider Guide members do, each month I've been doing a monthly webinar, primarily a Q&A webinar, where I'm answering questions from listeners in terms of, of questions they have on the economy, investing, personal finance situations, and I'm also sharing sort of what is what is going on with markets and the economy right now. And I, I keep this to a small list, and I but I send the invites to the members of the Insider Guide. So if you'd like to get on a future webinar and get the invite, sign up and get become a member of the Insider's Guide. Guide and you can do that again at moneyfortherestofus.net or US based listener, text the word insider to the number four four two two two. Everything I've shared with you in this episode has been for general education only. I've not provided investment advice. Simply general education on money, investing, and economy. Have a great week.